All right, continuing in Galatians, we've made it all the way to chapter 3. But before we talk about Galatians 3, we have to talk about some other passages, okay? Starting in Exodus 33. That's right, turn to Exodus 33 and go look at verse 17. Check this out. Crazy soup. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And watch this part. Verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before your name. Uh, will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses says this, these words, God, let me see your goodness, or let me see your glory. And God says, all right, which is kind of crazy. And then he says this in verse 21, and the Lord said, behold, There is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And you're like, why does he have to cover Moses with his hand? It's like a little, you know, like a little spot in the rocks. Yeah. So he's God saying to Moses, I will show you my glory but I'm going to have to pass by you and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand as I pass by. Right? Pass? Yep. Because, check this out. You're like, why does he have to cover Moses with his hand? Verse 23. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. Because nobody can see the face of the Lord. So Moses says to God, let me see your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to set you on a rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by you and let let you see my back. And that's about how much of my glory you can handle. Um, So God's going to reveal in a very small sense, not completely and not fully, but he's going to reveal to Moses his glory and his goodness and his greatness. And it's going to be this radiant thing that Moses will see how big God is. And he will see the magnitude and majesty of God, right? And this is important to keep in mind as... We keep moving forward. So check this out. Now go to Job 9. Job 9. Psalms, the book of Psalms is like right in the middle of your Bible. And Job is directly to the left of the book of Psalms. Got it? And now Job is this poetic book. And it's this wisdom book. And it's kind of poetry in the way that Shakespeare is poetry. You know, we're like, is it? It is. And you know, we're like, Shakespeare, well, it will be a poem, but it's like an epic narrative poem where it's telling a story. Like Romeo and Juliet, that's a poem. And in the same way, Job is a poem, 
but it's communicating this story in this intense wisdom. Right? So turn to Job chapter 9, if you would. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. So then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God if one wished to contend with him? One could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in his heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Hmm. Who has hardened themselves against God and been successful at it? That'll be important too. He who removes mountains, he's speaking of God now. He who removes mountains and they don't even know it. He who overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise. God says to the sun, stay there. And it stays there. Right? Who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens. And watch this, this is important. And trampled the waves of the sea. Speaking of God, and this is like some epic poetry about God, right? Speaking of the bigness. Wait, wait, wait. Is and that poetry? Poetry, yeah. What's that? Poetry is like, you know, like a poem. Got it. Yep, you got it. So, Job speaking to the, speaking to God, recognizing who God is and how big he is, recognizing his goodness and his greatness and his glory, recognizing his magnitude and his majesty. He says of the Lord, this is the God who moves mountains and the mountains don't even know it. This is the God who tells the sun not to rise and it doesn't rise. And it says, this is the God who tramples upon the sea or another way to say that this is the God who walks on water. Right? Treads on the waves, tramples on the sea. In other words, walks on water. This is the God who walks on water. Now, Job is considered poetry, like I said, but Job is also considered a book of wisdom, meaning when you read Job, you are going to encounter this depth of wisdom that wisdom? points to the size of man compared to the size of God. Make sense? And speaking of wisdom, what is wisdom? Right? What is wisdom? Well, I would say in this context, wisdom is knowing my size compared to God. Does that make sense? I know how big I am or how small I am compared to how big and glorious and great God is. That is wisdom. And that's the wisdom that's expressed in the book of Job. Right? So, moving on to Mark chapter 6. Mark, the second book of the New Testament, right after Matthew. Matthew. 
goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, so turn to Mark, chapter 6. Still in the beginning parts of the book of Mark. And we're going to go all the way. Mark chapter 6 is a really big chapter. So we're going to go all the way to verse 45. All right. It's Mark. Yep. You find it? Oh, it says 13. So find Mark 6 and go to verse 45. Here's where it gets a little bit crazy. Ready for this? So this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is with his disciples. Jesus is with his disciples and they feed the 5,000. Jesus performs this miracle and they feed 5,000 people. And that's just counting the men. So there's women and children too. So Jesus performs a miracle, feeds all this crowd and the disciples are with him. And they take a boy's lunch. They take like five breads and two fish and they feed an entire multitude. And right on the hills of this happening, right on the heels of the disciples witnessing the works of God and seeing his goodness, his greatness, and his glory. This is what happens, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, meaning across the sea. Um, to a place called Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus sends his disciples on a boat. He stays behind and dismisses the crowd, these thousands of people. And the disciples are in a boat on their way across the sea to Bethsaida. Make sense? Verse 46, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully. Craziness, right? So Jesus goes away, up on a mountain to pray. And evening comes, and the boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on land. Verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, right? So this isn't good progress. This is slow, like arduous process, progress. Making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, so it's kind of dark outside. It's late, right? About that time when we start like having dreams and thinking they're reality. This is what happens. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. You're like, wait a second. Who walks on the sea? God walks on the sea. And only God walks on the sea. So this is Jesus walking on the sea. And this is not just some awesome really cool, really nice guy who does good things for poor people and blind people. What it's saying is this person walking across the sea, he does 
what God does. Only God walks on the sea. And now Jesus is walking on the sea. But check out what happens. He meant to pass by them. What does that phrase make you think of? He meant to pass by them. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It's like, what is, what is he going to do? Walk past them and see people? See you guys! <laughs> see you at the theater! Right? <laughs> what, what does it mean when it says that he was going to walk past them? That should make you think of Exodus. Right? Remember Moses in the cleft of the rock? I'm going to put my hand over you, and I am going to pass by you, and you're going to see my glory. You're going to see God for who he is. So this language is Exodus language that Mark had in mind as he's painting this picture of Jesus walking across the water. Only God walks on the water. And he's passing by the boat. Not like he's like, you snooze, you lose, see you later. But more like the way that God passed by Moses in Exodus 33 Jesus is passing by his disciples. Now, what is up with this? But when they saw him walking on the sea, there it is again, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Check this out. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So, Jesus, with clear God language happening from Mark. Jesus walking on the sea, just as God walks on the sea. Jesus passing by the boat, just as God passed by Moses to reveal his glory. And they got afraid, and they see this Thing walking on the water and the uh, ghost! Oh my gosh! <laughs> and they freak out. What's ghost? A ghost is like a spirit, or like a you know, like yeah. ca- like Casper the friendly ghost. <laughs> right? Who's afraid of Casper? Though? I don't know. Nobody's afraid of Casper. Yeah, but check this friends. out. They're afraid of Jesus, though. And he goes, "Listen up, guys. Take heart," implying. You're being heartless right now. Where is your courage? It is I. It is God. So you don't need to be afraid. 51. And he got into the boat with them. When he did that, the winds ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Crazy stuff. What is going on here? Like, they're afraid. They think they see a ghost. Mark is using God language for Jesus. He pops in the boat. The wind stops. And they're confused. So their hearts get hard, it says. And hearts getting hard, you're like, I've heard that other places in the Bible, right? We've heard it about Pharaoh in the Exodus. When he wouldn't let God's people go, 
Pharaoh hardened his heart because he wouldn't realize his smallness compared to God's bigness. Right? We also see that with Israel in the wilderness. They have a hard heart. They have a grumbly, complaining experience. Right? God's feeding them, giving them manna, giving them quail. And they're still grumbling and complaining with hard hearts. And then we see the Jews, like when Jesus pops on the scene in the first century. The Jews encounter Jesus and they get a hard heart so hard to the point where they reject him and crucify him hard hearts and now it's the disciples who see Jesus on the water as a ghost and they get the hard hearts this is foolishness a hard heart if wisdom is knowing how big God is compared to how I am foolishness is seeing God, not seeing him for his goodness and his greatness and his glory, but getting a hard heart and rejecting God for who he really is, for whatever reason. You miss my brothers? What's that? You miss my brothers? I do. I miss him. Tell him I miss him. Okay. All right. So now with all that being said, turn to Galatians chapter 3 Galatians it's to the right it's right after Romans and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians then it comes Galatians Galatians and after that is Ephesians Philippians Colossians Galatians chapter 3 Galatians chapter 3 Watch this, I'm going to read. Yeah, I'm going to read the first six verses of Galatians 3. Here's what Paul has to say to the Galatians, and it's not so nice. He says, verse 1, Oh, you foolish Galatians! Right? That's a little intense. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Right now, these are Gentiles. I don't think they necessarily saw Jesus like hanging on the cross. Jesus portrayed, crucified publicly, but it's saying like in a metaphorical sense, like this was before your eyes, Jesus on a cross. Verse two. Let me ask you only this: Did you re- did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Key question. Again in verse 3, with the scathing language, are you so foolish? He calls them foolish twice. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like as if that's possible. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? Paul, with some crazy words to the Galatian church, calls them fools twice. Yeah, you might be irritated. You might develop 
a hard heart. Right? We just talked about this. Why does he call them the foolish Galatians? And I think because they've done like people have done throughout history. And although Christ was portrayed to them publicly before their very eyes as crucified, and although they understood this, and they understood his grace and his gift, they've taken that and turned to themselves. And they said what Jesus did was not enough. And instead of living by faith, counting on grace, and living in the Spirit, I am now going to turn from that and in foolishness live according to my flesh. That's what he asks them. Is what was begun in the Spirit now going to be perfected in the flesh in you? And you're like, wow. Then you might start to think, well, do I do that? Why are the Galatians foolish? The Galatians are foolish because they don't get it. They don't recognize God for who God is. They don't see him for his works, for his goodness and his greatness and his glory. And they've at once glimpsed that. And then they've turned from that. And started living not by faith in the spirit, but living according to the flesh and instead counting on themselves and what they could see. It's like they're in the middle of the ocean and they see God coming toward them and they get afraid and they're like, a ghost! And they freak out and they harden their hearts. And Paul fights against this. They encounter the Spirit, or they encounter God, and they get afraid. Thinking that God is a terrifying thing, or a ghost. And instead of sitting still and calmly accepting what is coming towards them, and knowing that God's gracious intent is to give them life through the Spirit... They see the ghost coming towards them in the storm, and they're afraid. They see Jesus, and they freak out. See, what happens, I think, for the Galatians, what sometimes happens for us, is that we we have this moment and we understand and we see salvation and we understand what Jesus did on the cross and we understand his gift of grace to us and we're like, oh man, and we have this crazy experience and then we're like, we love you, Jesus, and then we give our lives to him and then we're like, yeah, that was it, I did it. And what was started in the spirit as we receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we begin living this new life, all of a sudden, we get afraid. Like the disciples in the boat, seeing Jesus and thinking he's a ghost. And we say, the only one I can rely on in this world is myself. 
And we turn salvation into self-salvation. We forget or we don't recognize the hugeness of God. And we start putting ourselves on God's level. Right? And we start living according to self-salvation. I will save myself by my works as if... And whether we say this or not with our mouth, we believe this in our hearts when we live that way. I can do what God does. I can remove the mountains and they don't even know it. God with a Yes. Yes, yes. This God who tells the sun to stay still and it doesn't rise. This God who walks on water. And we forget about that and stop having wisdom in our foolishness. We start believing this crazy lie that I can move mountains. I can make the sun stand still. That I can walk on water. And that the universe revolves around me. And when we do that, we think of ourselves as God. And isn't that the original lie of the enemy to Adam and Eve? Listen, don't eat from this tree. God says, don't eat from this tree. And he goes, you're not going to die if you eat this tree. God doesn't want you to eat from this tree. Because if you do, you'll be like God. And you're like, I can be like God. Isn't that tempting? I can run foolishly down the avenue of thinking that I'm able to save myself by my works or what I do. And I pursue things like power and comfort and control. And by these things, power, comfort, and control, I can manipulate and shape my universe into the way that I like it to be. In other words, I am the author of my story. And that is foolishness. This salvation thing that was begun in the spirit, which cannot be perfected in the flesh. Are you trying to perfect it in the flesh, Paul is saying? And you're like, wow, deep, right? Paul, you're intense. So what do we choose, the spirit or the flesh? Mm-hmm. Who do we choose, ourselves or Jesus? Could we look God in the face and say I'm on par with you I'm on your level the universe obeys me just like it obeys you can we say that? I don't think so I don't think so either when we walk by people do we have to cover them with our hand and only let them see our back because if they see our face they'll die They'll cease to exist. That is foolishness. 
to say, I'm God. You're God? I can't, I'm not God. No. It's foolishness to say that. So, are you not God? I'm not. No, Sorry. certainly not. But you see what happens is oftentimes we're in a boat going to the other side, taking a journey that Jesus has intended for us. And it's kind of windy out and it's kind of late. And we're kind of maybe frustrated or cold or like arguing with our partners in the boat. Or and all three. what's that? Or all three. <laughs> and we might start to experience things like being afraid thinking, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get where I'm supposed to go. All I can see around me is darkness. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a spirit comes walking on the water. Like, oh my gosh, a ghost! We freak out even more. Yeah. And we freak out even more, and we grab one of the oars in the boat, like getting ready to hit this ghost, as if you could hit a ghost. I know. I know. And in that boat, we get so afraid because we can't see the other side. And sometimes maybe it even feels in life like we're going backwards. And when we're afraid and when it feels like we're going backwards, and when we lose sight of God in His goodness and in His greatness and in His glory... When we start thinking less of him and much of ourselves, we become foolish. And we start to see God walking toward us on the water as a threatening thing. (gasps) A ghost! When really, what is coming towards us in life that might be terrifying the heck out of us might be God himself walking on water doing a miracle doing what only God does and we're sitting here with hard hearts in our foolishness freaking out for no reason we have these flashbacks to like Mount Sinai and we're remembering these moments where God was big in our lives and the Israelites camped out at the base of Mount Sinai and God hovering like this crazy cloud over Mount Sinai and only Moses and Aaron are able to go up there and meet with God and for him to reveal part of himself and to give the law or to give the commandments and come back down the mountain and then we see the law and the commandments and forget about God the thing behind the law or the commandments that's what the Galatians are doing they're seeing the law and saying oh This is a way for me to get ahead in life. This is a way for me to stop going backwards. This is a way for me to get away from that dang ghost and get out of this storm. 
When maybe God has us in the boat for a reason, with a destination, and we're freaking out about the wrong things. We're seeing God himself walk towards us on the water and thinking that is the thing to be afraid of. When in the midst of it, he's right there with us. And he wants to climb in the boat in the boat, and tell the wind to stop and go with us to our destination. What do we do when we experience the turbulence of life, when we're afraid, when life feels like it's going backward or not going the way we expected it to go? Do we press more into the Spirit, saying, man, this is, I can't see right now. I'm going to live by faith in the Spirit. This is the only way I'm going to get through this. Or do we fall into foolishly living in the flesh? Saying, the wind is blowing. I don't know where I'm going. It's dark. There's a ghost on the water. I'm going to grab an oar and depend on me. Those are in the water. Just ski you. When we experience that, will we become foolish or wise? Will we live by the flesh or continue on in the spirit? We depend on us or God. And here's the point of this. We don't want to be foolish like the Galatians. Their foolishness was thinking themselves on the level with God. And thinking that them in their works they could accomplish the works that only God could do. So here's the point. Moving away from foolishness is wisdom. And wisdom says to God, okay, you be you. And I'll be me. And how great a gift that you would give to me this grace and this righteousness and this spirit. So I'm no longer going to reject it and count on myself. I'm no longer going to live in the flesh. But I'm going to walk forward by faith just as Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And I will continue on in the spirit for the rest of my life. Growing continually in that direction to be more and more and more like Jesus. So can we say that to God? You be you and I'll be me. I think he would like that. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are the God who walks on the water. God, how foolish we are when we think that we are on your level and we fail to realize our size compared to you. God, we move away from foolishness into wisdom. We ask that you would help us as we try to stop 
being afraid of you walking toward us. God, and we want to find steadiness on the waters of uncertainty. And we choose to live by faith and to live by the Spirit. God, we want to to let you be you. And we'll just be us. And we are thankful that when we are just us, you still call us friend. In Jesus' name, amen.